Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Everybody, welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. Happy New Year to everybody. This is our first podcast of 2017 and number 51. Uh, thanks to uh, our fabulous host, Steve Krupa of the Silas Group. Steve, Happy New Year to you, sir. Happy New Year to you. I don't know that I've done really that many things in my life 51 times. That's pretty good. <laughs> well, you have... Uh, have stuck to this one, and uh, yeah. I think we're both shocked that we've lasted this long, but uh, it's been a great ride. Well, what I, I promised you 52, and, and, and now I just got a big big bonus and a big signing. Are you giving your bonus. notice here on air? This is terrible. No, no, no. no. I, I thought you said that you, you were going to pay me a big bonus for the next year and do another 52, so I'm excited. That's right, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, we, we'll just send you the contract. It actually is in the mail, so just keep checking the mailbox. <laughs> Uh, it should arrive any, last, any day. Last I remember, uh, you guys bought me bought me dinner or something at the conference, so that worked out fine. We did. It took us a little while to find. I a think place. so. Yeah, but uh, and we'll buy you dinner again, guaranteed. <laughs> I, I promise. <laughs> and you'll get a free admission to the Digital Healthcare Innovation Center. Ah, well, there you go. Yep. That's what I'm doing it for. That's what I'm doing. It for. <laughs> Great. And uh, let's get into your uh, guest of today, Tom Kotler. He's the CEO yeah. and co-founder of Health Prize Technologies. And uh, I don't know if we've, we've uh, really tapped upon a, a company that's as focused on pharmaceutical adherence, but uh, it's an interesting company with, uh, with uh, a, a kind of growing platform that, uh, that you can explain better than I. Ah. But uh, well, tell us a bit about Health Prize. <laughs> Listen, I was looking for Tom for a while. I couldn't find him, and I met him at the conference um, because, you know, we do talk a lot about, quote, digital therapeutics, right? This whole idea that we'll take software and replace medication with software. Um, but I happen to think that, that while that's very a very cool idea and, and it probably will have a huge impact on the way care is delivered over, over, over time, uh, the real sort of uh, interesting tool is is using the same idea but combining it with the actual drug. So using a digital therapeutic in combination with a medical therapeutic um, to um, help people through either acute incidents uh, where they've got to take medica- medication to recover from something or chronic where medication becomes a part of uh, their daily ritual and uh, managing disease as part of their lifestyle. And to me, you know, that is that is an amazing uh, and and powerful combination if it's done well. And so I was re- really glad to run into Tom when he told me what he was doing. I was like, you, know, you need to come on and talk to me because I think this is an important idea. And he's had some some uh, interesting uh, uh, experience in, in other areas of healthcare. So he's uh, he's coming at this with a lot of experience, including some med tech. He, he was involved in advanced biohealing, so he, he he knows both healthcare and life sciences, and, and is bringing a lot of that knowledge to the company. Yeah, he does. But I, I will tell you, I don't know anybody who is close. You know, when you get close to somebody, they tell you about sort of their medical experiences, and I don't know anybody who has had either, you know, an operation that required, you know, post-operative medications uh, or who is in, you know, sort of a a chronic state, whether they're managing diabetes or pre-diabetes or high blood pressure or asthma 
um, that really feels like they have a good source um, to help them understand, you know, how they should be taking the medications and what precautions they should be taking and, and the ability to log adherence to that medication and so on and so forth. Um, you know, oftentimes you just get discharged from the hospital. You get handed a script. You go, you fill it. It says take, take this two times a day and you do it. But you don't know what to expect. And the side effects that you could be experiencing, you should be taking it with meals, not with meals, empty stomach, whatever it is. Um, and having all of that stuff available to you digitally and, and being able to uh, monitor that is terrific. And the byproduct of that from the pharmaceutical company's point of view, as Tom will point out when you listen to the podcast, is a, is a huge amount of uh, increased revenue through adherence on the one hand. And then on the other hand, the ability to make a case that adherence actually reduces um, complications and, uh, and, and medical utilization. And you know all that kind of coming together is very interesting to me. I, I think this is a company worth watching. For sure. And, and you're right, some of the numbers he, he uh, shared in regards to the impact that failure to adhere to, uh, to medications or to follow your medications or take your medications is really having on ER uh, admissions and, and other parts of healthcare. So uh, it's really, it, you're right, it's a compelling story. Yeah, let's give it a listen and, and see if it all makes sense. A lot of it makes a lot of sense to me. Excellent. Well, let's uh, hear from Tom Kotler, CEO and co-founder of HealthPrize Technologies. Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with uh, Tom Kotler from HealthPrize Technologies. Welcome aboard, Tom. Glad you could make it. Hey, Steve. Thanks. Great talking to you. Yeah, no, I've been wanting to have you on for a while because uh, we're going to going to deal with the other side of sort of the digital therapeutics realm, which is uh, helping pharmaceutical companies with uh, drug adherence. And uh, you've, got, you've got some really good stuff that you're doing there. But before we get into, into the company, anybody that looks up your background will notice that this is not your first rodeo, right? So I'm kind of curious about the backstory, about how you ended up in healthcare and how you ended up uh, doing, doing healthcare startups as a career. Thanks, Steve, and thanks for having me on. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, funny uh, how I got in healthcare. I actually uh, was a lawyer. I uh, started my career in Chicago at a mid-sized law firm uh, and was a few months away from making partner, and I was uh, a shoe-in to make it. I had all the votes lined up, and I left about four months before my partnership vote with no job because I was afraid that if I'd made it, uh, I would have been a lawyer the rest of my life, which would have been a real, a real shame. Uh-huh. So uh, I actually moved from Chicago to Connecticut, where my wife was from, and ended up actually working at a smaller law firm in Connecticut, figuring maybe a smaller firm I'd like more, and it turns out I didn't like that much more either. And I ended up having a client who owned some office buildings and was the largest tenant in two of them that ran a uh, small clinical trials business. And he was looking for someone to help him grow his business. And uh, he had about 10 employees and uh, had a small clinical trial business, did some really innovative stuff in clinical trials. And I convinced him that I knew what I was doing and I could help him grow his business. Uh, and he hired me to be general counsel and chief operating officer. And um, he and I grew the business from 10 people to 150 people in a year and a half and uh, sold it for the highest multiple ever paid, uh, still ever paid for a private CRO. And that's how I got into healthcare. And um, we sold that business, and I had a contract to stay for two years to our uh, Fortune 500 overlords, 
of which I could handle about two and a half, three months of dealing with their uh, sort of craziness until I realized that was not what I wanted to do. And I uh, fortuitously met two young doctors at a, our PR firm in Boston, and they had, were starting this healthcare. They were starting a business um, using uh, software to help doctors using what were then not even existent handheld computers to code and do other sort of repetitive point of care tasks. And I literally met them there for about half an hour and I'm going to lunch them that day. And the three of us started our, my first healthcare startup, a company uh, not still up and running in Boston called Medaptis. And uh, it was my first healthcare IT company. And uh, in between now and then, I started two other companies or was on the initial management team of two other companies, a uh, uh, medical device company in the uh, cell-based wound care business that became known as Advanced Biohealing, which got sold to Shire, uh, and then a company called Veinade, which is a medical device business that I actually founded, uh, developed, uh, invented the device with a physician friend of mine. In fact, uh, we're still in the process of trying to sell that business, and then I started Health Press. Very cool. Very cool. It's always good to have that. None of it planned. None of it planned. All except- of it sort of, uh, <laughs> no. No, but at some point you had to tell your wife that you were going to leave that wonderful uh, steady income at, as being a lawyer and go take a risk, which happens to every entrepreneur, she, right? She has put up with uh, some, uh, you know, one or two big paydays and a lot of periods with no paycheck. <laughs> uh, and God bless, God bless her soul. Yeah. Uh, she's still married to me, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. So you, you're treating her right. That's that's good to it's good to know. <laughs> you know that that or that or it's just too much paperwork to get rid of me, and she doesn't like paperwork all that much. So I think that might be the reason we're still together, but you never know. <laughs> so yeah, so so you're running through all of that stuff. A lot of a lot of science, right? A lot of pharma, a lot of medical device stuff, and you happened upon, you know, 2009. I guess was sort of the beginning of the the mobile technology revolution. What what clicked in your head uh, that led to health price? God, you know, I, w- I wish I was good enough that something actually clicked in my head, yeah. um, which would suggest that I somehow decided that the timing was right and it was <laughs> a, a good thing to get into. It's, of course, nothing's ever happened to me that way. Yeah. You know, I actually, uh, when I practiced law, one of the things that was really, well, I was a litigator, and my real specialty was uh, expert testimony in which, you know, I would just, I would learn something often to a master's or sort of low-level PhD level in a matter of months. And so that's sort of what's gotten me, you know, I've done cell-based wound care and healthcare IT and medical devices and sort of never known much of anything about anything, just had a really curious mind and sort of liked being a contrarian, which is kind of, you know, I I, I did a cell-based wound care business when everybody was like, wound care, you got to be kidding, that's a really lousy business. And so uh, in this case, it was uh, incredibly fortuitous. I actually was working as a consultant at Yale in the uh, OCR, the Office of Cooperative Research, which is their tech transfer group, and working with them to build a a medical device fund that was to have been sponsored by the Yale Endowment um, and the Yale Medical School. And I uh, was working with a woman there named Katrina Furlick, who's a neurosurgeon, among other people. Um, and for a bunch of reasons, that, that sort of project went uh, went south. But Katrina and I uh, met each other and liked each other. Um, and oddly enough, uh, grew up in a suburb of Cleveland, literally 
about 300 yards as the crow flies and never knew each other until mm-hmm. we met, and met at Yale. And so we were looking around for a business to start, and we actually were very close to licensing some technology from uh, uh, Cornell Weill Medical School to start a medical device business when I happened upon a guy named James Jorash, who worked at a place called Walker Digital. You may know Jay Walker. Sure. I've heard of Jay Walker. He's well-known for, among other things, starting Priceline, and he now owns the TEDMED conference. So Jay, uh, James was Jay's head of inventing for 15 years at Walker Digital, which was an intellectual property think tank in Connecticut. And a buddy of mine worked with James and said, hey, I know you're uh, doing some stuff in you know, healthcare startups, and James wants to get into that. He's leaving uh, Walker Digital and starting his own fund and doing some other interesting stuff. Why don't you have lunch with him? So I said, sure, why not? So I had lunch with James, and we started talking and liked each other, and he said, hey, so I'm leaving Walker Digital, and I'm taking these patents with me around medication not adherence. And I was like, what's that? I mean, I didn't even really know it was a bra, right? I mean, well, you talk to a lot of people, even really smart healthcare people, and they don't know medication out of here is a big problem. And I'd never heard of it. And James said, oh, it's this huge problem. And we've had these patents around sort of, I guess, you know, using different ideas of consumer uh, psychology to try and motivate patients to take their medications. And we've got a bunch of patents on it. And uh, Jay's uh, assigning them to me as a sort of, you know, my leaving, he owes me some, uh, he owes me some assets and I'm taking these with me. Why don't you take a look at them, see if you're interested. So sure, why not? And he gave me the patent numbers and I went online when I got home from having lunch in that day and I read it and I'm like, God, these are phenomenal patents. I had done some patent litigation in the past, so I kind of knew a little bit about, about, you know, how a good patent is written and how the claims are written. And these guys were expert at it. And I just started doing non-adherence research online and I literally stayed up all night. I was so fascinated. <laughs> and I called him the next morning and I said, you available for lunch today? He's like, sure. And I met him again at the same place, same Thai restaurant for lunch. And I just looked at him and I said, I'm in. Well. This, is, uh, this is this massively, massively under, misunderstood problem. You guys, I think, they have understood it better than anybody in my 24 hours of yeah. learning about it. It's a huge problem. I expected to find all these really creative solutions being brought to market and no one's doing anything. And um, let's go for it. And so he and I, uh, and, and he turns out he knew Katrina Furlick, who was the, the third person, we, uh, that other woman that from the Yale neurosurgeon. Uh, you may know her husband, Andy. He's a venture capitalist. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the three of us got together, spent about four months doing some really deep due diligence, probably interviewed 30 or 40 people, spent um, some reasonably good amounts of money on lawyers to make sure that some of the things we wanted to do were actually going to be allowed given the highly regulated environment in which we were going to operate. Um, and in September of 2009, we started the company with no real idea of exactly what we were going to build other than using some of the basic ideas in these patents to develop some kind of digital platform to uh, motivate patients to start and stay on their meds. And we spent about a year really becoming experts in adherence, building a significant advisory board, <clears throat> reading every, we read probably a thousand peer-reviewed articles and abstracted them and really under, tried to understand what the right business model would be. And then we set about uh, going after it once we figured all that out. And that's how we started Health Press. That's the cool thing about uh, the modern world, right? You can learn something quickly because the resources are there, right? You don't have to go to the New York Public Library to figure this stuff out. It's right there online. And then 
you can build then you can build a piece of software and start playing around with it to figure out whether or not you can get something to work right well, totally look I, I started my first uh, healthcare IT company in 1999 right and just the database alone cost us half a million dollars right right you know now we use MySQL it's free yeah you open up an AWS um, account whole, and there it is right. oh God, it's unbelievable, right? You want unlimited storage capacity and hosting capacity. It's, you know, a couple thousand bucks a month. It's the ability to build and to test and to try, at least from the development side of it, is inexpensive and only limited by what we can create. Right. Now, obviously, getting people, getting, getting people, you know, constituencies within healthcare to work with you and pilot and to pay you is a whole different matter. But <laughs> the building of it can, the building of it uh, has gotten quite easy. And, I, you know, I think that's part of the explosion in digital health. Now, there's good and bad with that, right? Because there is a lot of junk. Yeah, yeah, sure. But there's a lot of quality stuff, too, that, you know, in the, in the prior world never would have come to the market. So it's, it's certainly a great time to, to be trying stuff and, you know, be part of throwing the spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, so, so what, uh, what is the essence of, let's, get, let's sort of get into the, into the product at this point, because you've been around since so nine, so, and I know you're, I know you're doing yep. some very good work with your customers. Where, where did you end up? You started to experiment. I'm assuming you brought customers in to see what you were building, and they said, well, try this, try that, and eventually you've landed on a, a set of technology and a set of foundational values that you're bringing to your customers. So, so give me a little bit of a, a sense for what those are. Sure. So, you know, when we, when we, one of the interesting things, so we focus on patient engagement, education, uh, and sort of developing brand loyalty with the idea of getting patients to start and stay on their prescribed therapies for the purpose of generating higher revenue for our customers. But at the end of the day, the real goal is to get patients to get better outcomes. Uh, just a little bit of background on non-adherence. Um, it's probably the biggest medical problem that most people don't know anything about. The statistics on medication adherence are absolutely mind-boggling. It's responsible for uh, an estimated $290 billion a year of otherwise avoidable medical spending in the United States alone, according to the New England Healthcare Institute. It's responsible, according to us and Capgemini, in a report we just updated, for almost $650 billion, so 637 to be exact, billion dollars globally of lost revenue each year to the pharmaceutical industry. It is responsible for $125,000 $125, deaths a year, making it the fifth leading cause of death in the United States. It's responsible for up to um, 40% of ER admissions and 11% of all elderly or assisted living facility admissions as a result of medication non-adherence. It is, it is just a problem of enormous magnitude uh, for every constituency in all of healthcare. So when we started looking at the problem, we thought that most of the ways that people looked at it in the past were wrong. And that is that the lenses through which we've seen this problem typically have been the lenses of cost and forgetfulness. And medication non-adherence really is a problem of neither. It is because you can look at all the research, as I said, we've done in probably greater detail than anybody. And uh, every paper ever, ever done um, on the cost side shows that you can reduce cost to zero. And you move the bar just not very far. 
there's a, a really well done study called the MI free trial. MI for myo, right. myocardial infarction, which is a heart attack. And free because they gave the drugs away for free to the experimental group. Covering patients uh, who had all, all the patients in the study had been dismissed from the hospital after having a heart attack. Those that got free medication lifted their adherence by 4% over those who did not for free. So it's behavioral. Um, so right? free med. Yeah, that's right. And that's what it comes down to. So our technology is all built around the notion that it's behavioral. And so we use ideas from gamification and behavioral economics. A proven concept comes from consumer marketing um, and loyalty programs to build a really integrated platform that allows uh, our customers, who are principally pharmaceutical companies and pharmaceutical brands, to develop patient support programs that uh, patients uh, engage with, uh, get educated by, and earn points for, points of which are redeemable for stuff, uh, gift cards, charitable donations, coupons, things like that. So we use a lot of stuff that people are used to getting outside of healthcare and brought all these ideas that motivate people outside of healthcare into an integrated platform with the goal of trying to educate patients to get better outcomes. Yeah, and I, I just want to sort of reinforce some of the things that, uh, that you said there. I mean, I know of studies actually where they were would pay patients and they'd get increases in adherence that were uh, okay, maybe greater than four percent. And then once they, that if they stopped paying them, then they then they wouldn't adhere. So it's sort of like there there isn't a, a valuation, if you will, that we place in the back of our mind on the outcome of being adherent, or at least not enough people do. And then just to go back to your stats, because you went through those pretty quickly. I'll see if I wrote them down right. You think there's $290 billion of uh, available spending reductions um, and that there's about 125,000 deaths per year as a result to non-adherence and about 40% of ER admits are a result of non-adherence. Those are pretty yep. extraordinary uh, numbers, to tell you the truth. So obviously it's, it's a problem you know, worth attacking, and there's been a lot of ways in which people have attacked it, but not with a lot of success. So you are you are going you're going about it on the behavioral modification side. So tell me some of the tricks of the trade on behavioral modification. Um, how do you get people to change what they're doing? Yeah. So yeah, it, let me take just a little step back. So one of the fascinating things about so, so about what you're saying is is the term behavioral modification, right? Yeah. And and I would actually argue that we don't actually change anyone's behavior. And that actually it's almost impossible to change someone's actual behavior. You manipulate We are them. actually in the business. <laughs> we're in the business. We're well, you take we're their in the own personality have, flaws, right, and leverage them in the right direction. Well, that's right. We find them, we we take them as we find them. And rather than trying to change their behavior, we try to educate them to develop good habits. Right? It's not about behavior modification. That's a really hard thing to do. What we want to do is educate people to allow them to create good habits within their existing behaviors. And that may sound semantic, but it's a huge difference in sort of how we look at things versus how other people try to look at things. And, you know, I actually, when I first started the business, um, I went and talked to two friends of mine who were uh, healthcare life science consultants up in Boston, and I used the word behavior modification a lot, and this one, one of them looked at me and he said, look, 
I, I, I just moved, and, I, and I, uh, I found my third grade report card. Actually, he and I went to high school together, and Mrs. Reynolds was our third grade teacher. He said, I, 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 got my, I found my third grade report card for Mrs. Reynolds, and I shared it with my wife, and she just started cracking up because she said, you're the exact same person at age 51 <laughs> you were in third grade. And, 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 and he's like, people are who we are. That's and, awesome. and, and that's really true, right? <laughs> yeah. And so rather than, rather than, you know, everyone says we're trying to change your behavior, really what you want to try to do, because that's so darn hard, is you want to work within people's existing behavioral structures and have them develop, have them get smarter to develop better habits, which is actually something you can do. And one of the things we find in medication on adherence is that everybody thinks that it's some kind of you know, monolithic, I forgot or I don't want to pay for it, both of which are baloney. What, what it really is, is that everybody's got a different individual reason why they don't take their medication. And it depends on who they are, what kind of drug it is, what the drug delivery method is. And so let me give you a quick example. The reason that a 25-year-old gay Hispanic man might not want to take his single-day regimen or SDR, HIV AIDS therapy, are very different from the reasons that a 52-year-old mother of three might be afraid to start self-injecting herself with medication to treat her diabetes because she's advanced from, you know, from taking pills to needing insulin. Mm-hmm. And, the re- and, and the psychological reasons, the cultural reasons, why for those two people are so very different, you almost can't talk about non-adherence in the same way with either of them. And so, you know, we understand all that. The, that, that woman, let's say she's brand new to injection therapy, has got a whole bunch of, of issues that she's got to deal with. She's taking care of her children. She might be taking care of an older, uh, an older parent. She's got all these household things she's probably got to take care of as the mother of three. And now she's going from taking you know, oral solids to injecting herself every day with therapy. She needs a lot of really different hand-holding and support than does that 25-year-old you know, gay man on, on an SDR who really just needs to be motivated to do the right thing for himself mm-hmm. as opposed to worrying about others so much. And so what we recognized was that the psychological reasons that somebody might do something or not do something with respect to their medication is very, very different. And so we've built a platform which allows brands to build these unique digital experiences rapidly, effectively, and efficiently to understand the, those reasons and to deal with them and to motivate people. What you find out when, you, when we've done this with you know, lots and lots of people, we have had over half a million people through our programs, is that they're all starving for information in relatively simple kind of support and what we call you know, a basic attaboy. You know, yeah. hey, good job, way to yeah. go. And it's because it's such a lonely thing to be sort of on your medication, focusing on it, worrying about it. Because who are you going to talk to about it? You don't want to talk to anybody about it. Yeah. And, so it and so we sort of fill that gap for people. And we make it fun and interesting, and you get points for it. And just the stuff that motivates people, generally speaking, in their lives is the same stuff we use you know, to, to get people to stay on their meds. And it's been very, very effective. Yeah, I mean, you can, we all have sort of the stories of people that, that aren't taking their medication, and it can involve sort of confusion about whether they're experiencing a side effect or not. You know, as, you, as you're pointing out, psychosocial issues, uh, maybe they're not adherent in other aspects of their lives that 
just naturally trickles over to the drug side. And it's sort of, sort of like this whole whole sort of bespoke, if you will, uh, set of uh, re- set of issues that you have to address in order to get the right solution for that one one individual to to be adherent. And um, obviously, you know, you you have you, we live in a world today where you can create one to one communications and uh, and information transfer. So, so how how did you guys design your product? Why don't we go through a use case to give a a sense for how the product accomplishes some of these things. Sure, that's a great idea. So I think I think uh, so. We you know, we've developed it over uh, over the last uh, seven years through, fr- frankly, a lot of trial and error and an absolute ton of actual user feedback. And, and one of the things I find really interesting in healthcare is is so few of the things that we build for for patients actually have anything to do with the patients in the sense of having them be part of the process. So we, you know, we've had, which is amazing to be with. Yeah, there's no, there's no customer in healthcare, right? It's just let's just shove no, this stuff, no, no, that's right. stuff around. So you know, one of the things, so so one of the things we do in our platform is we do surveys and weekly surveys and quizzes, and we get thousands and thousands of people doing it. You know, answering our surveys and quizzes every week, and a lot of what we get feedback on is the actual user experience and how easy is it and all that. So we've really honed our platform over the last six or seven years with. Basically, patients giving us the feedback to build a better product, a little bit of platform. And let me give you, like, I, I think one of our, uh, a really great use case and some examples. So um, if you look at uh, diabetes patients, they are really bad at staying on their medication. I mean, I can give you some statistics, which, will, which are mind-boggling. I'll give you my, uh, the, the one, I think, which is the most critical and it's for patients who are new to injection therapy. So, as you know, diabetes is a progressive disease. Most diabetics will start uh, on a single medication, typically metformin, um, and then advance to taking two or three pills. And they also, many of them have comorbidities, so they may be taking drugs to treat their blood sugar problems. But they also may be taking a high cholesterol medication, hypertension medication. Many of them are depressed and might be on antidepressant medication. The disease as it advances typically will require a patient to go on to some form of injection therapy, whether it's a GLP-1 or an insulin product. And patients who are new to injection therapy, i just give you an example from one drug. I'm not going to name it, but patients, and this is from data from Walgreens, who's a partner of ours, um, data on almost 400,000 patients over a 12-month period. After six months, patients new to injection therapy on this particular medication, at six months, only 6% of them were still filling their insulin on time. 6%. Yeah. And only 16% were still adherent to therapy. Now, this is a disease that's never going away for these patients. And at six months, the vast majority of them are no longer taking the medication all unilaterally taking themselves off therapy. It is a huge problem. And so I'm, I'm assuming that in order to solve that problem, you first have to understand why, right? That's right. And uh, it's hard to do on an individual basis, right? Cause, but what we do, um, so what we did in that case, maybe a use case was we, our platform allows for some pretty significant multi, multi-layered segmentation. And so 
we segmented patients into our platform based on a variety of factors, and we had um, four layer, four different segments at the top layer, and then it, 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 within each of those segments, you could be into into two sub segments. So we had eight different segments you could be in if you were on this drug when you came into our platform. If you were brand new to injection therapy and had never injected yourself before with any form of therapy, you went into one segment. If you were new to this drug but injected yourself before, you go into a different, a different segment. So we had all these different segments. Each segment had its own educational curricula set up for a patient in that particular segment. So you got a different cadence of communication, a different content in the quizzes and surveys. And to give you an example, so if you're a patient brand new to injection therapy and you had never injected yourself, and now these are auto-injectors, not syringes, so they're quite a bit easier to use, but still scary enough. I mean, who wants to you know, inject yeah. themselves every yeah. day? There were videos available and training you how to stay, how to use your auto-injector. We had built click-to-talk directly from our application, um, from our web and mobile platform, into their call center for this medication. So we gave patients brand new to injection therapy a bunch of different ways to get educated, get comfortable. We gave them consistent attaboys when they did a streak. So if they had a five-day streak of, of you know, injecting themselves properly, you know, they, got a, they got an award for getting a streak. And so we did all these simple things that motivate people outside of healthcare to get them to stay on therapy and get educated um, and get supported in ways that made them feel comfortable with taking this medication. And in six six months, we increased adherence by 107%. Wow. Yeah. And for patients that had, on the other drug that we were working on with them, who'd been on therapy for more than a year, we increased adherence by 57% in 12 months. That's great. So huge lifts by just doing some really basic stuff, mm-hmm. but also in allow, building a platform that allowed people to sort of deal with their personal, unique personal challenges in a way that seemed like it was very personal to them, but was actually built for a large group of patients. Hi, everyone. Tom Salemi here. I just wanted to welcome you all back to the Breaking Health Podcast. Uh, we had a great break, and uh, we appreciate your patience as we uh, did not put out any, uh, any podcast for the last two weeks, but we are back. Steve Proof is back on track. And we'll be bringing you many, many great interviews uh, coming up. If you like them sent directly to your inbox, uh, you need the Breaking Health newsletter. Just go to healthag.com. That is the word health, followed by the letters egy.com. Give us your email. We'll send you the Breaking Health newsletter that will include this great podcast and others just like it. Writes up about the podcast, so uh, interviews and uh, profiles of the interesting people that we're talking to. You'll get them right there in the newsletter. And then, of course, finally, great video content from our uh, Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which took place in November in Boston. Plus, we'll be providing you some original video content going forward. So why not go to healthy.com, sign up for the Breaking Health newsletter. It's free. You get a lot of great stuff. Just go to healthag.com. Again, the word health, followed by the letters egy.com. Now back to this conversation. A couple things. I, if I understand, Tom, your business model, you are building this for, you know, for and, and on the behalf of the pharmaceutical companies that, that they, they distribute to, to the users. So there, there are a couple of questions, and maybe I'm not right about that. Am I right about that before I move on? You, you are. That's right. That's our, that is who we presently focus our selling and marketing efforts on are building these programs for life science brands. Okay. That's correct. And, and so I, I, uh, let me start with, with one question and move on to the next one. So 
explain to me what it's like. How do I find out that there that this program's available to me? Let's say I was about to get on injection therapy. How do I find out the program's available to me? And then what's my experience like once I sort of get involved in it? So you would find out about this through any various means that the brand is using to communicate already to patients and physicians, and brands have a lot of ways to do that. So it could be through the brand.com website. could be through an email notification if you're a member of their CRM program already. could be through the physician, through the rep doctor patient channel where they hand out samples and starter kits and things like that that benefit patients. Uh, could be through co-registration with the copay card. As you know, copay cards are basically offered by every brand now, and they all now have to be uh, registered. So we do co-registration with copay cards. So there's a whole, uh, could be through a, WebM, uh, a banner at a WebMD or Healthline. There are a lot of different ways that patients can be notified that this program is available. Uh, one new thing we have is we're partners with Walgreens and are offering a health prize branded Walgreens program being sold to life science companies. And in that case, of course, you get the huge scale of Walgreens offering the programs directly to patients that are, re- that are already taking the therapy. So we've got a variety of different ways to get patients to n- be notified about the availability of the program and then to send them to the enrollment page to enroll for the program. Once you've registered, you engage with it like you would any other kind of a digital platform. Uh, it's it's uh, it's web and mobile, um, so you can you can access it over any kind of device, whether it be a mobile, tablet, online, uh, laptop, desktop, and you just you know log in like you would anything else and engage. Uh, we have a sophisticated communications platform that is controlled by the patient that allows us to send you notifications to remind you to self-report taking your medication each day to get points, to refill on time, to, to take the weekly survey and quiz to get points and do all these things. So there's a whole sophisticated communications platform that allows us to communicate directly with you if you want us to. And you can control whether that's by email or text message or both or neither. One of the things we believe in sort of fundamentally is that one of the reasons people don't like taking their meds and don't like healthcare in general is it's the one place in their life where they're not given any choice. They are told what to do. And so everything we do with our platform is built around the notion of giving people choice because if they choose what they want to do, they're more likely to engage with it. And just to give you a sense of our levels of engagement, Steve, our average user in all of our programs logs into our platform almost five times a week spends almost 40 minutes a month on web and mobile with us, which to give you a sense of how much time that is, that's twice the amount of time an active user on LinkedIn spends on LinkedIn every month. So we spend a lot of time with people, and our average user is in our program for almost a year, which is huge. You hear about people, you know, downloading an app and using it for two weeks. Our average user is on our program for over 11 months. And so we spend a lot of time with people and get them to engage, get educated, and get comfortable staying on their therapies. That's very cool. That's very cool. I, I you know, I've always, I, I've always imagined that this is really. <clears throat> I, I mean, I think honestly, anybody that gets put on a medication, even if it's just sort of post-operative pain meds, should have the opportunity to engage like this for all, all sorts of reasons: uh, misuse, non-adherence. You know, just sort of fear side effects. And what people end up doing is they end up going online and typing away at stuff and then reading things that aren't, aren't really relevant to them uh, versus having an opportunity to really understand exactly what the drugs are. 
And then obviously when you get into these chronic medications, uh, this is, this is an, uh, a very important service. So, so tell me about your business. Whatever kind of data you want to share, number of customers, number of patients, number of uh, drugs that you're working with today, uh, just give me a feel for how you're doing. Well, we're, we're doing well. We, um, our revenue doubled this year from last. We are projecting it'll double again next year. We are predicting to be profitable next year, which right. not many digital health companies can say. <laughs> Our customers include a number of top 10 global pharmaceutical companies, some small emerging pharmaceutical companies, whose names, unfortunately, because of my contract with them, I am not allowed to mention, but I uh, wish I could. There's some pretty household names in pharma, and we're growing within them. We do work principally in the U.S., but we have one customer in particular we are grow- expanding internationally with. We do programs with them right now in Latin America and Asia, uh, and we are negotiating with them to build a global, uh, literally global uh, platform for emerging markets in about 26 different countries and with about uh, five different drug classes for cardiovascular, dermatology, and others. And so we are you know, we're, we're really just starting to really take off. Um, we're working in primary care. We've done work in hypertension, high cholesterol, a bunch of dermatological conditions, a bunch of work in diabetes. We're now starting to do a lot more in specialty medications. So we're really starting to work across brands and across continents and hope really to build a truly global platform because most of the brands we work with are global brands, you know, in the next 12 months. And that's a, a big push for 17 is to continue to build out our global infrastructure. So we're, you know, we're, uh, it, it, if it, healthcare is hard, yep. it's heavily regulated, it's very data driven. So you got to get early customers and pilots and then gather data and grow from there. We think we're really in a good spot. Our data has been amazing across all of our programs. Uh, we put it up against anyone's engagement or data and our listen adherence are literally unprecedented, I think, which is one of the reasons why, for example, Walgreens chose to partner with us. We've got some significant partnerships we're going to be announcing in 2017. Uh, and so while pharma is really slow to innovate on the commercial side, given their uh, history of getting in trouble there, frankly, and the, just the incredible level of regulation uh, that they work under, we've really been able to push forward and we do expect some you know, continued material growth over the next 12 to 24 months as we continue to you know, expand our platform and sell to more pharma companies. And we're also starting to focus on some of the partners that pharma is now sort of forced to deal with and play nice in the sandbox with that historically they haven't. And so we're in the middle of talking to some significant plans. We are talking to a bunch of healthcare systems about working with them in conjunction with pharma. So we expect to see a lot of sort of collaborative deals between us, pharma, and other constituencies in healthcare over the next 12 months as well. Sure, sure. Well, listen, we're coming down to the end of our time. You know, when I met you at at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, I'm like, I, I got it. You got to come on the show because we've been we've been uh, wanting to talk to you for a while. Um, so, sort of at the end, I'm wondering, just given given your experience as a serial entrepreneur, a lot of the, a lot of the folks that listen are either VCs or entrepreneurs themselves. So maybe I'll ask you if you've got any words of wisdom for your fellow entrepreneurs out there that maybe are just starting for the first time uh, in the healthcare business. <laughs> Oh, thanks. Thanks for the kind words, Steve. I'm excited to talk to you. Gosh, I don't know that, uh, I don't know that, that I'd be the right guy to ask for anything even related to wisdom, but <laughs> the one thing I, the one thing, the one thing I would say is this, you know, I started a, 
my first healthcare IT company 17, 18 years ago. And it was, you know, almost an impossible trudge through the mud to get someone to sort of be open-minded about it. So we thought were great ideas. And I think, I think now it's like this amazing time for, for people to, to solve problems in healthcare with digital tools. Uh, the one thing, I, the one thing I, I often, uh, I, I do sort of dislike about it, however, is I think it just tends to allow for too much hype and not enough actual problem solving. And I think that what I'd say to anybody in, in trying to get in is find, uh, find an important problem and really focus on that problem. I think you know, we hear too many times, why aren't you selling the plans? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? It's like, because we're focused on solving this problem for this one group of players in healthcare. And I think, there are, I think that that's really where people can make a big difference is in trying to look at one problem, dig deeply into it, and try and either solve it or move the bar on it as far as you can without getting too worried about Right. Trying to solve the problem for everybody because I because I think that's one of the great things digital can do is really hone in on particular problems and, and try to solve them and and there's certainly no shortage of them. So that that and as I look at what I'm doing and what I want to do next, it's a big focus on solving particular problems. Listen, I think I think that's an important point that I don't I don't want to just skip over because the one thing that that you get when you're an entrepreneur is everybody's got ideas as, as to how to make your business better. You, know, you bring in board members and, and investors. What inevitably happens is you find that you're getting pulled off of your core value proposition, right? And so, what I try to tell entrepreneurs, which I th- which I think is exactly what you're saying, is if you know you've got a solution to a meaningful problem, go in and solve that problem, and then worry about where you go next. But the first goal of a startup is to get their core solution out there and, and demonstrated that it's actually doing what. What it, what's possible, right? Absolutely, I, and I mean, you know, look at not adherence. I mean, no one's going to solve it, but it's just moving the bar on it, yeah. and focusing on it deeply for one constituency. You just the numbers are big, and there's so many problems like that in healthcare. You just stick with it, stay with it, persevere, and you know, generate a solid base of data to to, to move, work on that problem. And I think you can create real value, not just for your business and your stakeholders, but, you know, for the healthcare system in general. And that's really where digital health, I think, can, can make these huge differences is just that we have the chance to do all those things. But I just think you've got to stay focused on your particular problem and not, you know, not be sort of focuses, focuses your friend. Yeah. Well, listen, great conversation. Uh, last thing for you is I know you've got a website out there, healthprize.com. But give people a sense of where else they can get a hold of you, whether you're on Twitter or Facebook or um, and, and then uh, places, any, any place where they can find out more information about the company uh, beyond the website. Yeah, so, yeah, thanks, Steve. I, I, you know, I would say go to healthprize.com. We do uh, quite a bit on social media as well on, on t- uh, Twitter and Facebook. But really our, our focus is, is – I would say, you know, our, 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 our sort of digital outreach is through our website. Yeah, you can request a demo, download some really interesting white papers, get in touch with us there. Uh, I'll be at J.P. Morgan if anyone wants to uh, actually get together. I've got a little bit of time left, though. Schedules are filling up. Hopefully they'll have the ice rink up this year, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's got, you know, I actually went the first time about 15 years ago. Yeah. I think it might have still been at the Fairmount. It has gotten to be an absolute circus, which I just love. I think it's fun and everyone's there. And yeah, it's, uh, it is, it is completely crazy. And, uh, you'll see some health prize, a little guerrilla marketing from health prize at JPM this year. So, uh, keep an eye out. And, uh, actually, Steve, I have a, I have a, a media offer for you, which we can talk about offline as well at JPM. So, uh, it'll be fun. Terrific. Well, listen, thank you for joining me. Really appreciated the conversation, Tom. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate the time. Talk to you soon. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks, everybody, for coming back to the Breaking Health Podcast. Again, we hope you had a great new year. Thank you, Steve Cooper, for uh, taking the time to make the Breaking Health Podcast what it is. Uh, it's a great addition to uh, to the Healthogy portfolio, and uh, we hope it's a, a, a helpful part of your life. If you've got some insights you want to share, Feel free to go on iTunes or whatever uh, program you use or whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast. Give us a rating and some comments. We'd love to hear them. Email me directly. That's the best way to, uh, to get your thoughts to us. If you uh, have some ideas that we can prove or if you know of some subjects and guests we should uh, have on the podcast, email me at tom at healthogy.com. That's my name, Tom, spelled T-O-M at healthogy.com. Again, the word health followed by the letters egy.com. I am the content director here at Healthogy and uh, would love to hear directly from you. Thanks also to another Tom, Tom Kotler, uh, for sharing Health Prize's story. Uh, you've got a, a very interesting in past. I'm glad you uh, passed up on the, uh, on the law partnership and found your way to healthcare. You've done a uh, great many great things, and uh, we're going to look forward to following Health Prize's story as this will uh, hopefully register as another uh, success in your portfolio. So thanks again for taking the time and joining us on the Breaking Health Podcast. Thanks again to all of our listeners. And uh, tune in next week. We'll have another tale of innovation for you. Take care, everybody.